research shows that yes, you want to make sure that you provide your children um, education and safety and uh, comfortable living and good nutrition and secure love and somebody who adores them and an opportunity to explore and learn, but also that when we give kids a feeling that they matter and their contributions to the family and to the home are valuable, genuinely valuable, that is also an important factor in emotional resilience. Hey, hey, this is Dr. Kavita Sun. Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. This podcast is about emotions, psychology, and relationships. Every week, I'll be sharing real-life tools to help you build self-awareness, a better relationship with yourself, and more fulfilling relationships with the people that matter to you. Listen, this is the foundation on which the rest of your life is built. So let's take the time to get it right. I'll see you on the inside. Hello, hello, my friends. Happy Thursday. So good to be in your podcast inbox and to get a chance to chat with you again. I hope you've had a good week. And even if you haven't, I'm glad you are here, right here at this moment. And that, you know, even when things are hard, I think. The load is a little bit lighter when we can help one another, when we can walk each other home, so to speak. So I'm here to walk you home as best as I can. And um, for me, just knowing that I have people out there who care, who want the best for me, and who will you know, think of me and share what they know with me, that helps lighten the load that I carry. And so I hope to do the same for you. Today, I wanted to talk to you guys about parenting. Summer holidays are here, and I've noticed a lot of questions in our Instagram feed. And by the way, if you haven't seen our Instagram feed yet, it's at Relationship Coach MD. You can find us there. Um, so we get a lot of questions in our Instagram feed. A lot of you guys, um, send in questions from our pod squad and our clients have been asking us a lot of parenting questions of late as the summer holiday season has begun. And we're more sort of having to balance entertaining the kids as well as, you know, it's not like adults get summer off, right? So we still have to maintain the house and pay the bills and go to work. And now we have to sometimes entertain multiple little humans at home. <laughs> and so buttons get pushed and we feel overwhelmed and we want to do the best by them. So we sign them up for this, that and the other. And uh, some of it actually is wonderful. And some of it is just adding a lot of commuting and exhaustion to our already overcrammed and overfilled to-do lists. So how do we parse between what is helpful versus 
what is actually um, micromanaging and uh, not helpful either for us or for the children's emotional growth, right? How do we parse out these things? And how do we manage our own emotions and our own self-care so we don't get as overwhelmed with our kids? So we'll be talking about that over the next couple of sessions. Today, I wanted to start with the three parenting myths that I think causes havoc on families, especially nuclear families. Many of us now in, um, at least in America and the Western world, many of us are living in nuclear families, right? We don't have aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents who can help take care of the children. We sort of have to do it all, right? And many times, even in nuclear families, a lot of this tends to fall to the female or the female identifying partner, right? Not always and not in every family for sure, but it tends to be more statistically speaking, more likely that the woman takes on that role of caregiver and social sort of lubricant organizing all of these activities and schlepping the kids from one thing to the other while also feeling like it's her responsibility to maintain the home and maintain her career and her health and everything else. (laughs) And just as I'm saying it, you can sense how impossible it is. So living it is 10 times harder. And so I want to share these myths because these myths actually worsen this imbalance and this sense of overwhelm that we feel, which is not helpful for our own mental health. And it's not helpful for what we show children because children learn by example more than they learn by anything we say, right? So they're constantly absorbing the atmosphere in the home. And they're noticing and watching and learning from how we manage our own stressors. So I think the first step is to be aware of and careful to not fall into these three traps. So let's get right to it, okay? The number one trap that I see that parents fall into that causes them a lot, a lot of emotional turmoil is this idea that we're supposed to protect our children, in fact, prevent our children from feeling disappointment. And it's, you know, theoretically, it sounds sensible, right? Of course, we don't want our children to be too disappointed and we don't want to watch their hearts getting broken. But at the same time, we also kind of theoretically get that some disappointment is a part of life. But when it comes to when the rubber hits the road, so to speak, and when your, you know, child is coming to you and saying, you know, at camp, this other friend of, you know, this other kid doesn't want to play with me and says that she or he doesn't want to be my friend. It hurts your heart, doesn't it? I know it does mine. It feels like a dagger goes through your heart and you want to so protect your child from feeling that kind of, even if it's mild social rejection, it can feel very painful. One, to watch your child go through it. Two, because it reminds you of times that you've been rejected in your own life. So it's kind of like a double whammy. 
And three, it threatens our identity as parents who make sure that our kids are loved and taken care of at all times. So in multiple ways, it shakes us. That moment when our child is hurt or disappointed or feels let down or feels not fully included somewhere. And I want to just offer to you that I think our society tells us to go one of two ways. And I actually disagree with both these ways. The first answer that society gives us is to sort of dismiss our children, like sort of um, downplay it or say, oh, you know what? They probably didn't mean it. And remember the other day when you had a play date with that same kid and he was so nice and he was sharing his toys with you. You know, sometimes kids, uh, you know, people will say that and you've got to learn to tough it out and just go play with somebody else. Just go play with somebody else. Right? We want to show and teach resilience. And in that process, sometimes we end up dismissing our kids' feelings. And the message that we're giving in that spiel is that you're exaggerating, you're being a little princess. Let's get over it. The other option that society gives us is to go to the other extreme and to start typing up an email to the teacher or to call up the parent of the other kid and sort of um, suggest that they talk to their child about this sort of behavior or maybe even visit the school the next day and have a little meeting with the teacher and the other parent, right? Sort of we go the other extreme where we jump in And we want to fix it. We want to level the ground. We want to stomp on it and remove any signs. And I giggle while I say this because I've done this. I've done this where I want to remove any sign that such a moment of hurt ever even existed in my child's life. So we ping pong between these two extremes. And what I want to share with you is maybe a middle path. And the middle path is not dismissing, invalidating, and sort of giving a modern day version of pull your socks up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of emotional resilience speech, but also not go to the other extreme and try to fix it. Because the message there is that any disappointment is a crisis. And you cannot withstand any sort of disappointment. You will crumble. So I need to jump in and completely fix it because I don't trust that you're capable of handling that or figuring that out or even withstanding it. And that's not a message we want to give either. So what do we do here, right? Because disappointment is going to happen. While at the same time, if one child is always saying really mean things or even, you know, shoving or something like that. Yes, of course, you want to talk to your child about standing up to them, but also talk to the teacher and see what you can do. But we don't want to jump in for every little disappointment because we are teaching our child that they can't do anything by themselves, that they are weak, 
that they have to have somebody else step in on their behalf and that if no one steps in on their behalf, they will not be able to function. So what do we do? I think the middle path is actually pausing and talking with a child about that experience. Let them know, give them a sense that you are there, that they can talk to you about these things. Not that you will necessarily be able to fix it or prevent it from happening in the future, but that you are there as a sounding board, that you don't think such things are silly to bring up, that you don't think that they should just, you know, get over it, that you're willing and ready, in fact, to make space for those feelings, to talk to them about it. And even to give them a sense that you are there. Because when you give them that sense in the conversation, they will carry that feeling of you being there for them and with them into the playground the next day. Emotional resilience actually doesn't just drop out of the sky. It comes from children feeling like their parents both trust them, but also their parents are there for them. That feeling is what is absorbed as emotional resilience, okay? So you don't want to necessarily jump in and fix everything, but you do want to give your children a sense that, hey, that must have been really hard. Want to talk about it? Tell me more. When did this happen? Oh my gosh, it was, was it after snack? Oh man. And where were you sitting? Was it at your desk? Was this kid also in your little group? Oh, he was in that other table or she was in, you know, she was coming in from the outside and you were already inside. I see. And where was the teacher? And did you have other friends next to you? Had you finished lunch yet or were you in the middle of lunch? Oh, my gosh. And what happened when he actually said that? That must have been really scary and or that must have been really uncomfortable. And then what did you do? Oh my gosh. Oh, I see. And you went and sat next to Sam. Ah, and what did Sam say? See what I'm doing? I'm actually subtly inserting my presence, not my physical presence, but my emotional energy into that scene. I'm seeping that scene with my emotional presence. When I do that, and when my child feels seen and heard, they themselves will come to some solutions. They will start giving ideas. Maybe next time I should tell Sam that so-and-so was, you know, didn't want to play, and so I came to play with her. Maybe I should go tell the teacher. Maybe I should, right? They will come up with ideas, and you can help sort of filter those ideas and ask questions back and forth. That's how somebody learns how to figure these things out while also not feeling alone in the world. So the number one myth is that kids should not feel disappointed or even mildly excluded in some way. It's not comfortable, but the solution is not to just rush to dismiss them and tell them to go play with somebody else and they'll be fine, or to go to the other extreme and try to fix everything all the time. Okay? 
The second myth that really gets parents, I think, and used to get me too, is that kids need to be entertained. Kids cannot be bored, right? So when our kids come to us and say, I'm bored, there's nothing to do in the house. Meanwhile, they probably have 10 times more toys than we ever had growing up, and yet they're bored. And we think it's some sort of personal failing on our behalf. What? How can you be bored? You've got this toy and that toy, and don't tell me you're bored, and go do that, and go do this. Or we go to the other extreme and feel really guilty, and we drop everything that we're doing and go and think that we have to get on the floor and play tic-tac-toe or build puzzles and Lego with them. That's the only other option is that we have to entertain them. And what I want to offer you is that boredom is a useful state for kids. It is the place, birthplace of creativity and problem solving. If they are being schlepped from activity to activity, and when they're at home, you expect to entertain them all the time, even if it is telling them what to do next, right? Okay, go play with Legos. Okay, you're done with Legos. You don't want to do Legos anymore. Okay, put that away first. No, you have to put that away first and then you can go do that other thing. When you're constantly supervising them and telling them what to do and you think bored time where they're just sitting around staring into space is a personal failure on your behalf, which, you know, we're all constantly bombarded by all these Instagram images and Facebook posts of all the wonderful things that parents are doing constantly with their kids. So we think that kids just laying around talking to one another or petting the dog or, you know, laying in the grass and staring up at the clouds is some sort of parental fail. I want to offer to you that your kids, as long as the entire summer is not just them staring off at clouds, that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about they have structured time, they have some activities, they have some play dates, but they also have pockets of time where you expect them to entertain themselves. Maybe you're right there, but you're doing some chores, they can help. They can chat with you. They can, you know, run around the house with a dog. They can do some coloring. They can do whatever they want. Or they can just sit there and read a book or tell you things. You are not telling them what to do. They get to figure it out. There's got to be pockets of time this summer where your children are not supervised. And trust me, they will whine about it because they're not used to it. They're not used to it because we have created a situation where we have given them the sense that free, quiet, non-structured time is weird. (laughs) So of course they're going to whine about it. And you get to tell them, I don't know, honey, how about you come up with some ideas and I'll come up with some ideas and you write them all down and then you pick one. You decide. They're going to say, I don't know. I don't have any ideas. And you keep walking around doing your chores and saying, hmm, okay, well, then you can help me make dinner. No, I don't want to. Okay, I trust you'll think of something. No, mom, you've got to tell me. 
or dad, you've got to tell me what to do. I don't, I don't know, honey. <coughs> Excuse me. And you just keep calmly, lovingly putting it back on your child. And eventually they will wander off and they'll go play with a cat or they'll go rearrange books on their bookshelf or they'll go draw something and doodle something and their creativity will slowly start coming out. Creativity actually comes out when there is no structure and nobody else telling them what to do. So that's the second thing I want to offer to you. You do not have to, in fact, you should not constantly take your kids from one activity to another or supervise them from one thing to another. Give pockets of time where you expect and train them to entertain themselves. And you'll notice, one, they will have better emotional resilience and control because they can be with their own feelings, right? Two, they will become um, they will become better problem solvers and have more creative ideas, even in their academic work and even in their social life, right? So that's a second myth that I want to help you get rid of. All right. The third one, the third one is an important one. All of these are important, but the third one is very, very sneaky, all right? So the thing that I see a lot with um, the kids uh, of, of our clients, right, is this, is this notion that kids are supposed to do only kid things. Kids cannot be expected. And if they are going to be expected to do anything around the house, they have to be paid in some way, whether it's with lavish praise or whether it's with, uh, you know, trip to the ice cream store after they do some chores or maybe even paying them little bits of money. And this, I mean, obviously you're welcome to take or leave any piece of advice. You check it with your own intuition, try it out and see what happens. You get to decide. But my offer to you is that children, and this is born, born out in many, many research studies, children actually love hanging out with adults and doing adult things. They may whine about it because they're used to you entertaining them. But they like to feel genuinely useful. I say genuinely useful because they can smell it a mile away when you're pretending. When you're like, yeah, honey, here's a little, you know, bowl of water. And here, why don't you wash your um, dolls in it while I do the dishes? They know that that is not really helping anybody. And that you're just trying to get them to be occupied while you do the dishes. They know that. They can sense it. Why do we do that then? It's not because they don't want to do the dishes. It's because we don't want to deal with the mess they will make when we give them real dishes. Right? They'll probably spill water and they might, you know, make it more dirty before they clean it. 
they will just not be efficient. And we want to do everything efficiently. So instead of recruiting their help, like when I, we have a five-year-old, when I ask my five-year-old to help me sweep, it actually takes me longer to finish sweeping because she makes more of a mess. But that's okay because I'm training her and showing her that she is valuable and that I like hanging out with her. And the things that she does for herself, for our home and for our family is something that I respect. And that is genuine self-esteem. You're building genuine self-esteem when you show kids that their contribution is not just pretend useful, but really, really useful, really matters to other members of the household. Okay. There's also literature showing that two kids going through similar um, difficult circumstances growing up, one of them has more emotional resilience as an adult. And when you look back, one of the factors, among many, right, but one of the important factors is that children, even when they've gone through difficult things, if they develop emotional resilience, it's often related to the fact that they felt important and needed in their family. Because there's so much talk about parentifying young kids, right? We think that the solution is not to expect anything from our children. That we should just be giving, not expecting anything back. And if we ask for anything back, then we have to reward it in some big way. But that's not what research shows. Research shows that, yes, you want to make sure that you provide your children um, education and safety and uh, comfortable living and good nutrition and secure love and somebody who adores them and an opportunity to explore and learn. But also, that when we give kids a feeling that they matter and their contributions to the family and to the home are valuable, genuinely valuable, that is also an important factor in emotional resilience. So these are three myths that I want you to question this summer when you are hanging out with your children or your nieces or nephews or neighbors' kids right? You, disappointment is not always a terrible thing. It is part of life and your goal and your job is to help them process those feelings and show them that you are there. You don't need to shield them from every disappointment. Number two, you don't need to shield them from any boredom. Little pockets of boredom is good for children's developing brains. And number three, having children take part in managing the home and not excessively praising, of course, saying thank you. But we have a habit, you know, in our culture of saying, wow, honey, that is amazing. You set the table. What an amazing thing. You're so kind and you're so helpful. Don't go over the top, right? 
they can sense it. They can sense that it's weird. It's it's imbalanced, right? Just tell them the truth. Thanks, honey. That was really, really helpful. But involve them, even if it means that it takes you a few more minutes to finish your dishes, or it means that they, you know, mismatch the plates when they're laying the table. It's okay. I suggest being open to um, sacrificing some efficiency for the sake of ease and resilience and connection. Not only will this help your children, it will also take a lot of pressure off your back. Imagine if you didn't have to rush to the aid of every hurt feeling, you didn't have to fix every, um, you know, social struggle between your child and a friend, if you didn't have to entertain them all the time, if you could trust that your children sometimes, even if they're bored, they will find things to do. And in fact, you will start noticing that they start writing their own stories and becoming artists and trying to create their own music and all these things. And imagine if you actually could get help from your kids to take care of the home in little ways. This helps your children, but it also takes a lot of pressure off your shoulders, which means you can show up as a better parent. And that's the whole point, right? You actually get to be more lighthearted, more relaxed, more easygoing, more flexible, more present with your children. And there's no better gift. So my friends, I hope that was helpful. Please, if you haven't yet given us a review, please give us a review. It helps Apple find this podcast and show it to other people. And with that, I will see you next week. Have a great rest of the week. Bye-bye. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to me if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, can you follow or subscribe to Emotional Mastery? Following the podcast helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. So to do this, just go to the Emotional Mastery show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tap on the plus sign on the top right corner or click on the button that says follow. This is the most important thing for the podcast to reach more people. And while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and a review and share an episode you love with a friend, I'd be so grateful. We appreciate you very, very much. Thank you.